Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to another episode of History Hack. Alex, who have we got on today? I'm really excited today. So as part of our uh, day dedicated to U.S. history, we have with us Tim Weiner, who's a winner of the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award for reporting and writing on American intelligence and NATSEC. Uh, he was with the New York Times from 1993 to 2009, covered the CIA and U.S. foreign policy, uh, made several trips to Afghanistan, uh, reported from places like Sudan and the uh, Pakistan, author of six books, including the forthcoming The Folly and the Glory, which is America, Russia and Political Warfare, 1945 to 2020. But he's with us today to talk to us about a book he wrote in 2007 called Legacy of Ashes, which was a history of the CIA. So, Tim, welcome. Very glad to be with you. You're, so you're in New York State. How is lockdown? Well, the city uh, where I live um, uh, is grim. Mm. Uh, and uh, but it is a resilient city. Um, and if London could get through the Blitz, we can probably get through this. Absolutely. Um, fingers crossed we're coming to the end of it now. But let's ask you some questions and dive straight in um, on the CIA. Alina, why don't you start us off? I'm actually quite interested in finding out more about this. So what sort of intelligent framework was there for the US abroad before the mid-1940s? The states None. Were None whatsoever. Um, <clears throat> the United States did not have an intelligence service, uh, had never had a peacetime intelligence service uh, of any kind um, to gather foreign intelligence. Uh, during uh, World War II, an extraordinary fellow named Wild Bill Donovan um, founded uh, the OSS. Uh, the Office of uh, Strategic Services uh, as a wartime intelligence agency. Um, the OSS was an interesting outfit, um, knowing virtually nothing about the practice of intelligence uh, gathering. Uh, it became uh, patterned after uh, uh, the British uh, Special Operations Executives. Uh, it was uh, the Brits who schooled uh, the Americans uh, in the dark arts. Um, it was, uh, however, a uniquely American cadre. Uh, it did gather, attempt to gather intelligence. But what Donovan was really interested in doing uh, is what Churchill wanted the SOE to do, which was to set Europe ablaze. Um, 
sabotage is so much easier than gathering secrets, isn't mm. it? Absolutely, um, yeah. And so Donovan, you know, Donovan wanted to drop his uh, officers and his uh, recruited foreign agents uh, directly into Germany. He did, and they died. Uh, of the 21 two-man teams that went in under his uh, leadership, only one was ever heard from again. Wild Bill had 100 ideas a day, three of which was sound. Wow. I'll read you a, a quote about him uh, from uh, his right-hand man, uh, David K.E. Bruce, who some of your listeners may recognize as, as uh, uh, later the American ambassador to the court of St. James's. His imagination was unlimited. Ideas were his plaything. Excitement made him snort like a racehorse. Woe to the officer who turned down a project because on its face it seemed ridiculous or at least unusual. For painful weeks under his command, I tested the possibility of using bats taken from concentrations in Western caves to destroy Tokyo. While Bill wanted to drop bats with incendiary bombs strapped on their backs into the <laughs> Japanese capital. That, that was the spirit of the OSS. Yeah. It was bats. Wow. Um, so how do you get from the OSS, um, how does the CIA come into being and when? Very painfully. And it's a story that has to be told in, in at least two chapters. Um, President Roosevelt had always had his doubts about Wild Bill Donovan. And early in 1945, uh, he ordered his chief White House military aide, uh, Colonel Richard Park, to conduct a secret investigation of this most secret organization uh, and its wartime operations. Um, the chief force in the United States that was opposed to Donovan and the OSS was J. Edgar Hoover of the FBI. Hoover had run the FBI since 1924 and would go on to run it until 1972. Hoover wanted worldwide intelligence under his aegis. Yeah. So there were interesting leaks uh, to right-wing newspapers in the United States uh, from the FBI warning that Donovan wanted to create, and I quote, an American Gestapo. Um, Colonel Park, on his own, uh, investigated uh, the wartime operations, the OSS, and he found that um, he found no important instance in which the OSS had helped win the war. Uh, I'll quote from his report. The training of its officers had been crude and loosely organized. British intelligence commanders regarded the American spies as putty in their hands. Uh, in China, uh, the nationalist leader Chiang Kai-shek had manipulated the OSS to his own ends. Germany's spies had penetrated the OSS uh, and its operations all over Europe and North Africa. The Japanese embassy in Lisbon had discovered the plans of OSS officers to steal, steal its code books, and <laughs> in a consequence, uh, as a consequence, the Japanese changed their codes, which resulted in a complete blackout of vital military information in the summer of 1943. And one of Park's informants said, and I'll quote again from the report, how many American lives in the Pacific represent the cost of this stupidity on the part of the OSS is unknown. Wow. There's a lot of that. Yeah. A lot, 
a lot of that. Uh, the report also personally attacked Donovan, uh, and it said that the general had lost a briefcase at a cocktail party in Bucharest that was turned over, over to the Gestapo by a Romanian dancer. Again, there's a lot of that, too. Wow. So after VE Day, Donovan went back to Washington to try and save his spy service. Roosevelt had died. Harry Truman listened to Donovan's proposal that he, Donovan, uh, hold communism in check around the world by undermining the Kremlin. And the president kicked him out of his office and disbanded the OSS uh, six weeks after he dropped the atomic bomb. It's pretty so. definitive, wow. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so two years later, the CIA is born. And in those two years was a battle royal. Uh, because in, that, in those years, in 1946 and in spring and summer, of 1947, Uncle Joe Stalin comes storming uh, through Eastern Europe and seizes uh, it nation by nation. And there is no telling how much further he intends to go at this point. Um, and so, making a very long and complicated story short, um, the Congress uh, and the President is persuaded that the United States needs a peacetime intelligence service, something it has never had. Uh, but how? how? How are we to do this? What is it? Do, does this organization, named the Central Intelligence Agency, exist to stop communism by force? Yeah. Through covert operations, through sabotage, uh, through the same behind-the-lines operations that Donovan had mounted during World War II? Or does it mean chiefly to gather intelligence? The struggle is, is it to know the world or is it to change the world? And this battle never ends. That's crazy. What, sorry, what, what were the CIA's initial objectives and how closely does it actually follow them? I mean... There are conflicting methods, aren't there? Uh, yes, indeed there are. So um, the preamble here is that um, before the CIA is formally established, uh, Truman uh, sees that the, uh, he uh, is told uh, by uh, one of his White House aides that the entire prospects for establishing an American t intelligence service had been, and I quote again from a report to President Truman, royally bitched up. Um, his chief of staff, a very crusty uh, military uh, officer named uh, Admiral Leahy, tells President Truman, quote, intelligence has been handled in a disgraceful way. So uh, for starters, um, he, Truman, uh, names uh, the Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence, Rear Admiral Sidney Sewers, uh, a reservist, uh, a Democratic Party stalwart from Missouri, Truman's home state, uh, a wealthy businessman who had made his money in life insurance, and the nation's first self-service supermarkets, the Piggly Wiggly Shops, takes this fellow 
brings him into the White House, presents him with a black cloak, a black hat, and a wooden dagger, and knights him as, quote, the chief of the cloak and dagger group of snoopers and director of centralized snooping. And this vaudeville act, this is actually happening in 1946. This is what's going on in the White House. This vaudeville act places this flabbergasted supermarket executive in charge of something called the Central Intelligence Group, which has been cobbled together by uh, demobilized uh, military and intelligence officers. And someone asks this poor fellow, Sidney Sowers, uh, what he wants to do after his swearing in. He says, I want to go home. Wow. Uh, the person who makes this thing happen, the Central Intelligence Agency, is probably the greatest American diplomat of the 20th century, George Kennan. And Kennan had been the charge d'affaires in the American embassy in Moscow at the end of the war. And he writes a report called The Long Telegram from the American embassy in 1946. And what Kennan is trying to tell uh, the president and the secretary of state and the secretary of war, we did not then have a secretary of defense, but the secretary of war, and the entire American military establishment that is that Russia uh, is a country uh, led by a man who does not believe in facts, who does not believe in truth, who can uh, expand his power through force and fraud, and he must be countered. He must be met. Um, but he, he must be met, Kennan said, uh, with a preponderance of military strength uh, to back it up uh, to the United States, to defend the United States, but not by force. He must be met through a combination of diplomacy and intelligence gathering. These views later evolved um, when the CIA is formed, Kennan's views and then the views of the American establishment, that we, did, we couldn't just gather intelligence on the Soviet Union because, in fact, we could not gather intelligence on the Soviet Union uh, at the time because we had no spies. And we wouldn't have any spies, American spies, in the Soviet Union for a long, long time. As it evolved, the Central Intelligence Agency <clears throat> became the equivalent of the British SOE, um, devoted to covert action designed to counter the Soviets in Europe in the late 1940s. There's, um, there's obviously people working against the CIA, um, and I was just interested when I was looking through the book. So there's a Brit in the midst of this, isn't there? Really not helping matters as the CIA are trying to get going. <laughs> Tell us about Kim Philby. There certainly is. Um, well, uh, so uh, comes now the newly formed Central Intelligence Agency, and it proposes to uh, roll back the Russians by mounting um, behind the lines, behind the Iron Curtain operations in Albania and presently in Poland and in 
Russia itself and along the western flank uh, of the Iron Curtain and beyond. So how is one to do this? Of course, this, the, the Americans are, are, are quite innocent in these matters. And uh, they uh, turn in their planning, which takes place not only at the CIA, but at, at the Pentagon, um, to the representative of British intelligence in the United States, one Kim Philby. Uh, Kim Philby uh, liked to drink his lunch with the CIA's ch chief of counterintelligence, James Jesus Angleton. Mm -hmm. uh, the two men, um, against stiff competition, uh, were uh, the biggest drinkers among their set. Um, so over bibulous long lunches, uh, the two of them would figure out how to uh, uh, screw the Soviets uh, with uh, uh, guerrilla operations and paramilitary operations uh, conducted behind the lines. Curiously, these operations failed. Every one of them. And the recruited foreign agents uh, that the CIA dropped behind the lines in Albania and in Czechoslovakia and in Poland in particular and in Russia in the fullness of time. Every one of them was rolled up or doubled and played back. Why was this happening? Why was the record of the early years of the CIA in these operations unblemished by success? Well, as we came to found, find out to our sorrow years and years later, Kim Philby was a recruited Soviet agent and had been since the 1930s. He's one of the Cambridge Five, isn't he? He was uh, first among equals, uh, a brilliant, devious man who died drunk and alone in a small flat in Moscow. Mm -hmm. I was going to say... Um, Things I've forgotten the way to say this now. My, my language just got completely out of the window. Uh, karma. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> karma. Karma is a bitch. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> moving on. So Syria, <laughs> Albania, Indonesia, Cambodia, and Congo. This is a litany of failure for the CIA in the early years. Well, we're, getting, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves here. But mm -hmm. um, yes, I think it is safe to say that during the decade uh, that uh, Alan Dulles uh, ran the CIA um, and its covert operations, uh, which is really from uh, the, toward the end of the Korean War uh, to the Bay of Pigs in 1961. Um, Alan Dulles, in this battle between do we want to know the world by gathering secrets, or do we want to change the world through covert operations? Uh, unequivocally favored changing the world. Now, he had absolute free reign in these matters, um, uh, running uh, covert operations. Uh, in this era, there was no congressional oversight uh, of the CIA. That came much later. Uh, the CIA's budget um, grew exponentially uh, uh, during the Korean War, from 50 to 53, 
to the point where uh, in 1953, its proposed budget was 1% of the GDP of the United States. It's quite a lot of money. Yep. Um, and uh, uh, the equivalent of really about where the intelligence budget uh, uh, was uh, post 9-11 uh, today's dollars, 70 to $80 billion adjusted for inflation. Um, this was, of course, a secret because the CIA's budget was and is a secret. Um, but uh, one has ways of ferreting these things out uh, if you study the CIA. Um, Dulles, Alan Dulles had a brother, as you may remember, John Foster Dulles, who was the Secretary of State. Mm-hmm under Eisenhower. When Winston Churchill found out about this arrangement, he knew Foster Dulles, of course, as a diplomat, but he said, do you mean to tell me there are two Dulleses? <laughs> to be fair, he was probably quite drunk at the time as well. Well, yes, at this point, Churchill preferred to operate in bed in his pajamas uh, with half a bottle of uh, brandy uh, beneath the sheets. Um, which is how he and the CIA planned to overthrow another 70-ish leader, uh, the freely elected prime uh, minister of Iran, uh, Mohammad Mohammad Mossadegh. And therein lies quite a tip. Shall I tell it? Yeah, so Iran, this is one of the, well, look at some of the failures, but Iran is one of the um, standout successes isn't it of the early years of the CIA in the short run of course it is a success yeah um, this is how it went so still in 1952 still in in uh, the waning uh, months of Harry Truman's presidency um, but after the election of, of General Eisenhower as the next president in the transition period uh, Churchill and um, his uh, intelligence boffins uh, and uh, the CIA and Alan Dulles uh, uh, decide that uh, the freely elected prime minister of uh, Iran, uh, Mossadegh, has to go. Why? Is he a communist? No, he's not communist. He has, however, nationalized uh, Iran's oil. That oil was rather precious to Winston Churchill, newly reinstated as prime minister. Because it was that self-same oil with which he, Churchill, as, uh, help me out with my nomenclature here, the first Lord of the Admiralty in, in, in 1912 and 13? Yeah, so this title? was before the First World War, wasn't it, when he'd yeah. already earmarked the importance of oil in the region? Yeah, he converted the British Navy from coal to oil burning ships, which was quite a help uh, in the First War. Uh, so he felt rather proprietary about this oil, which uh, uh, the Brits had stolen fair and square back then, uh, and he wanted it back. So the threat of communism uh, in Iran at the time uh, was not great. There was a small, uh, ineffective, and thoroughly penetrated communist party uh, in Iran, but um, with the bit between their teeth, uh, Churchill and his men, and Dulles and their men, uh, his men, uh, decided together with the CIA taking the lead because the CIA had the money and the Brits had none, um, uh, to mount 
a huge, sprawling covert operation to get rid of Mossadegh. It failed miserably until at the very last, I mean, everything went wrong. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Until the very last, there was a spontaneous uprising, which began as a street carnival uh, that was inflamed by uh, CIA's paid Iranian agents uh, with fake news going out over radios and newspapers controlled and bought and controlled by CIA that led to uh, an almost spontaneous flare-up um, and uh, an army uh, revolt. Uh, somebody uh, rolled a tank over to Mossadegh's uh, home, uh, blasted a shell through its walls, and lo and behold, the quizzling, weak-willed, jellyfish-spined uh, Shah, um, Shariza Pahlavi was reinstalled on the Peacock's throne. Uh, absolutely the CIA's man. He knew it. His people knew it, that he owed his power to the CIA. Uh, and very quickly, Iran uh, became a police state uh, controlled by um, uh, secret police uh, and uh, secret intelligence service, the SAVAK, uh, which was stood up by CIA. Um, and uh, the CIA and Iran were, for the next 25 years, locked in a passionate embrace. And we know how that ended. Um, so Alina mentioned uh, some of the failures in the early years. Which one for you is the, is the most ludicrous? face plant in the early years oh well there's quite a lot to choose from yeah <laughs> uh because because almost everything that could go wrong did go wrong when it came to paramilitary operations mounted around the world uh we mentioned uh central and eastern europe uh in 19, I'll, I'll go through a highlight reel, if I may, for a couple of minutes. Yep. Um, in 1952, um, the CIA was absolutely transfixed by uh, <clears throat> reports emanating from Poland of a, uh, a rebellious uh, army within uh, the Polish army uh, whose initials very attractively uh, rendered into English uh, from the Polish were W-I-N, win. Uh, and this Polish army of liberation, uh, broadcasting uh, from behind the Iron Curtain, uh, got word to the CIA that it was prepared to mount a military revolt against the puppet uh, uh, chiefs of uh, Poland uh, who were dancing to the Kremlin's tune. Uh, but they needed money and gun. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So... Uh, forthwith, uh, the CIA smuggled uh, over the Iron Curtain and into the hands of Wynn uh, $5 million in gold bullion, uh, pallets of weapons, uh, radios, uh, everything one might need to, to mount a, a military coup against uh, a communist dictatorship. And then in the last days, uh, Christmas time, 1970. Uh, 19- 52, pardon me, in the last days of the Truman administration, right before Eisenhower was sworn in, um, Polish state radio began a gleeful set of broadcasts to the world over the shortwave. When was uh, a sting operation, it was a hoax that had been set up by Soviet and Polish intelligence. And the CIA began to suspect this might be the truth a few weeks before when Wynne proposed that an American general be parachuted behind enemy lines to lead uh, the revolt. That, that gave them pause, a bit of a head scratcher. Um, it was a sting operation uh, and a very well uh, uh, conceived and executed one. And this was a crushing humiliation. I mean, there were people at the CIA who, who had devoted three, four, five years to this operation, and it all came crashing down. Um, Alan Bellis tried to suppress uh, this news, uh, but uh, it wasn't easily done. Okay, that has its humorous aspects. <clears throat> there wasn't any loss of life. Um, in 1958, Alan Dulles proposed to use the CIA to mount a military coup in Indonesia. Now, uh, the head of uh, the Indonesian state uh, had uh, infuriated uh, the United States in 1955 by proposing that uh, the third world uh, uh, nations of Asia and Africa and Latin America uh, form a, 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 a alliance of the unaligned, if you will, uh, that they hitch uh, their wagon not uh, to the Kremlin or the White House, but they call uh, their own too. Um, this, in the eyes of the Dulles brothers, uh, uh, made him a communist. You know, rather like President George W. Bush, either you're with us or you're with the terrorists. Uh-huh. There, there was no third way and there was no third world uh, that they would recognize. It was a black and white world. And we were uh, the cowboys with the White Hats and uh, the Soviets uh, were the enemy and the enemy was absolute. Um, so uh, using uh, every means of 
at its disposal. Um, the CIA attempted to overthrow the government of Indonesia by force. Um, it's hard to overstate what a cock-up this was. Uh, first of all, uh, once uh, President Eisenhower uh, authorized uh, the agency to overthrow Indonesia, um, three days after that, uh, uh, a news weekly in India, uh, in Delhi called, I'm sorry, in Bombay called Blitz, the Bombay Blitz, which was a publication controlled by uh, the KGB, ran a long story with a huge headline, American plot to overthrow Sukarno. Well, uh, so the operation was not secret to start with. Second of all, the Indonesian military was fiercely pro-American. Uh, their elite uh, core called themselves the Sons of Eisenhower. Um, the CIA, uh, after three months, uh, had a full-born military operation with naval ships and with uh, bombers uh, to attack uh, Indonesia, uh, which is a rather large nation. Um, uh, at uh, <clears throat> various uh, uh, choke points. It was complete chaos. Uh, I'll quote to you from a recorded conversation between the Dulles brothers. Mm -hmm. uh, Foster Dulles, the Secretary of State, quote, said, I'm in favor of doing something, but it's difficult to figure out what or why. This was the state of CIA covert operations. The Indonesia operation w was... A complete failure and uh, you know of course uh, the government in Indonesia knew that the CIA had tried to overthrow uh, him uh, the army knew it the political establishment knew it <clears throat> uh, everybody except the American people knew it because Eisenhower uh, and Alan Dulles managed to put a pretty tight seal on news of this disaster uh, as a, a footnote uh, many years later, uh, nearly 50 years after the Indonesia operation, I interviewed a CIA pilot, an American, who had been downed and captured uh, during this debacle. Uh, and his name was Alan Pope. And this is what he told me. I quote, They said Indonesia was a failure, but we knocked the shit out of them. We killed thousands of communists, even though half of them probably didn't even know what communism meant. So that was the spirit, really, of, of Alan Dulles's uh, CIA in the 1950s. And of course, this kind of disastrous planning, where you mount a huge military or paramilitary operation without gathering the intelligence to know the facts on the ground, really sets the table for the last great disaster of the Alan Dulles years, which is the Bay of Pigs. Fidel Castro comes to power on New Year's Day, 1959, a few months after the Indonesia operation collapses. And the CIA tries desperately to understand who this charismatic, bearded gorilla is. And they can't quite make head or tail of him. So, but they have decided, haven't they, um, that they want him gone? Yes. Uh, once they had determined, after about a year of internal debate, that Fidel 
Castro was indeed a communist and that he was going to set up a uh, communist society, <clears throat> as everyone always says, 90 miles from Florida. Um, then uh, Eisenhower, uh, we're now in the summer and fall of 1960, in the last months of his presidency. Eisenhower gets in a murderous mood in August 1960. Uh, he's quite bitter. Um, uh, things have not really gone, gone all that well uh, in the 1950s. He sees a myriad of problems around the world, some of which uh, the United States has created, many of which the Soviets have created. Uh, and he wants to try to uh, stamp out these brush fires. And in some cases, this took the form of this assassination plots. Um, there were uh, three people in particular whom Eisenhower wanted, as he put it, sawed off at the legs. Um, one was the newly installed leader of, of Congo, Patrice Lumumba, who eventually would be uh, assassinated by Belgian paratroops um, after he was overthrown in a coup supported by CIA. A second was the right-wing dictator uh, of the Dominican Republic, uh, Generalismo Rafael Trujillo, who was also assassinated uh, months thereafter. Um, although the CIA's fingerprints are not on that smoking gun, uh, it wasn't for want of trying. Um, and the third, of course, was Fidel Castro. And the murder plots against Castro uh, first planned under Eisenhower and then mounted with uh, increasing force after the disastrous Bay of Pigs invasion, which wanted to overthrow him and presumably uh, put his head on a platter, uh, grow under Kennedy. The Bay of Pigs uh, in April 1961 is the culmination of Alan Dulles' leadership of CIA, a disastrously planned, immense paramilitary operation the invasion of another country done without adequate intelligence. For example, the Bay of Pigs. I've been to the Bay of Pigs. It's a mangrove, mangrove swamp. Uh, very hard to invade from the sea. Uh, the CIA's maps of the area dated from 1902. Wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it, 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 it is a term that is synonymous with uh, and uh, that was it. President Kennedy afterwards said he wanted to break the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter it to the winds. Uh, but he didn't, did he? Um, he put his 35-year-old brother, Bobby Kennedy, uh, the Attorney General of the United States, in charge of the most secret uh, operations uh, of the CIA. And among the operations that rose out of this was a plan called Operation Mongoose, which aimed for the elimination of Fidel Castro. They tried everything. They wanted to put poison in his ice cream. They created an exploding conch shell that Castro would step on while scuba diving. Uh, they wanted to put poison in his cigars and make his beard fall out uh, before he died. Um, of course, nothing worked. Um, I have a terrible suspicion, I can't prove it, that President Kennedy had become very much enamored of the works of Ian Fleming and his creation, James Bond. <laughs> it does have almost a comedic aspect, doesn't it? Um, some of the stuff they're trying to get rid of him. 
Yeah, one wants to laugh to keep from crying. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so you've marked the Cuban Missile Crisis as a real turning point in the history of the CIA. Why is that? That's right. Well, um, Alan Dulles is out of the picture now, uh, and a very, very competent Republican uh, shipbuilding magnate named John McCone, who had served earlier as the Undersecretary of the Air Force, um, is now in charge of CIA and all of American intelligence. And the CIA had developed uh, a very nifty uh, intelligence gathering uh, technology, the U-2 spy plane, which uh, uh, from uh, six miles, eight miles high uh, or higher uh, in the sky could send you a pretty accurate picture of what was happening on the ground. Um, the discovery that the Soviets had been shipping uh, short and intermediate range nuclear missiles into Cuba uh, and, you know, in effect, turning the island into a uh, uh, nuclear armed uh, uh, aircraft carrier, if you will, uh, off America's shores. Um, that was a rather galvanizing thing. Um, and the early discovery uh, of uh, the missile uh, uh, launching sites uh, by the U-2 spy plane and also uh, by human spies on the ground um, uh, who were Cubans working for uh, CIA at great danger. Um, it, it was uh, proof uh, of a kind that one didn't often have in uh, the early decades of the CIA. And um, Here's, a, here's, here's something that will bring a tear to your eye, given the present state of affairs among uh, the uh, Atlantic Alliance. Um, President Kennedy, Kennedy sent emissaries carrying copies of the U-2 photos uh, to the Allies in Europe. Mm -hmm. And uh, Charles de Gaulle of France said, I don't need to see these pictures. <laughs> the uh, word of the President of the United States is good enough for me. Hmm. Wouldn't happen today, would it? No. <laughs> no. The French um, have got innately more suspicious since then. Well, who would take the word of the President of the United States for anything these days? Uh, certainly not Including for whether the sun will come up advice. in the East tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a subject for another broadcast. Um, so here was a triumph of the intelligence of intelligence that in effect forestalled a possible nuclear war. And of course, we were taken aback uh, that the Soviets had nuclear missiles 90 miles off our shore that could take out Washington or New York or Chicago. Uh, of course, we had nuclear weapons on their border in Turkey uh, that could take out Moscow uh, and uh, St. Petersburg in a moment's notice too. So, very secretly, Bobby Kennedy went to a Soviet intelligence uh, officer in London and said, let's make a deal. We'll swap out those missiles in Turkey. You take out uh, your missiles in Cuba, and we'll pretend none of this ever happened. Okay, Boris? Um, and that's what happened. And that's how the missile crisis ended. Would not have happened without the real-time intelligence provided by CIA. I have to ask you, um, 
about Richard Helms because I look at Richard Helms um, before we finish up. This is someone who could have made a massive difference in US history if they'd have just listened to him. Well, Richard Helms, uh, who later ran CIA for seven long years uh, under Presidents uh, Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon. Uh, Richard Helms was there at the beginning. He was at the OSS base uh, in Berlin uh, at the time Hitler died. Now, the interesting thing about Richard Helms, who I got to know quite well later in his life, is that he started out life as a reporter. And at the age of 23, at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, he scored an exclusive interview with Adolf Hitler. There was always a little bit of the newsman in Richard Helms. Uh, he came from a newspaper family. Um, and uh, like uh, many of us in our youth, including me, wanted to be a newspaper reporter when he grew up. But the war intervened. Uh, and uh, nine years later, Hitler's dead. Helms is in Berlin as an American intelligence officer. And uh, he sees, uh, he looks over... Uh, uh, the uh, eastward over the borders of the divided city, and he doesn't like what he sees uh, because there's uh, uh, the Red Army glaring uh, back. Um, Helms was of the old school, going back to Sun Tzu and the art of war, that intelligence is knowledge and that the principle of intelligence is, as Sun Tzu said, to know your enemy. And he believed that espionage, the stealing of secrets, should be the fundament of CIA and not Alan Dulles's cockamamie covert operations that did accomplish nothing but getting people killed. It was not a struggle that he won as he was rising through the operations director at CIA in the 1950s under Dulles. But when he took over CIA and for seven years, as he ran, when he ran it, um, he tried to turn the CIA into an intelligence service. He didn't succeed in toto, but he did his bit. And, uh, he was, without the Shakespearean irony you want to associate with this, he was at root an honorable man. He was also the only CI officer of his era ever to be convicted in a federal court of lying to Congress. And therein lies a different tale. And um, what was it he said about Vietnam? The tragedy of Vietnam to Richard Helms was evident uh, within two years after the introduction of U.S. combat troops in 1965. We didn't know anything about Vietnam. We didn't know its history. We didn't know its language. We didn't know its people. We didn't know its culture. We saw everything through the lens of a gigantic plot launched in Moscow and Beijing to rule the world. Never mind that Moscow and Beijing had be, been at each other's throats since the 1950s, 
Uh, Khrushchev didn't like Mao very much, and the feeling was mutual. Um, the idea that was that the war in Vietnam, which was a war of national liberation against an undemocratic government, yes, mounted by communists, but no, it was not a war about communism. It was a civil war. Um, and our failure to see that and to see it clearly cost the lives throughout all of Asia, not just Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, and beyond, cost several million Asian lives and nearly 60,000 American lives and uh, led to the military defeat of the United States, then and now the most powerful military force in the history of civilization. Let me tell you about Helms's lie. Yeah. Because it on. gets to something very important about CIA. So in 1970, uh, President Richard Nixon ordered the CIA to uh, reverse the results of a democratic election in Chile. Mm -hmm. The democratically elected leader of Chile was Salvador Allende, who was not a communist, but a parlor pink, you know, he was a socialist, a somewhat democratic socialist. Uh, let us say the Bernie Sanders of Chile. Um, and uh, Richard Nixon didn't like this one bit. And he, after the election had taken place, or called Helms into the Oval Office of the White House and ordered him to reverse the results of the election and get rid of Allende by hook or by crook. Well, I mean, the CIA had been called upon to fix an election before, but not really to reverse an election that had already happened. Yeah. Um, and uh, the result was, over the course of three years, the destruction of the Chilean economy. And although the CIA did not run this operation, the military overthrow of Allende in 1973 uh, by the general Alonso Pinochet, who then established 17 years <coughs> of military dictatorship. <coughs> so in 1973, immediately after this coup had taken place, <coughs> Richard Helms is fired by President Nixon because he wouldn't help Nixon cover up the Watergate breaking. Nick, uh, Nixon <coughs> proposes that Helms, the director of the CIA for seven years and its officer for nearly 30, be appointed ambassador to the Soviet Union. Helms allows, as this is probably not a good idea. So Nixon says, hmm, how about Iran? And Helms says, well, all right. Figured it'll be you know, easy duty with lots of caviar uh, as a reward. Helms is called to a confirmation hearing before the Senate, as all ambassadors are, <clears throat> and is asked point blank on the record in open session, did you all have anything to do with the coup in Chile? By a Southern senator. <clears throat> and Helms, under oath, says, no, sir. Is asked again, so you didn't have anything to do with that coup the other day? No, sir. 
Helms is caught between two oaths. Yeah. He has sworn to keep the secrets of the CIA. And that is a lifelong oath here. We don't have an official Secrets Act in the United States, but that's the closest that we come. And he has gone to the Senate and raised his right hand and sworn uh, to testify fully and truthfully. Caught between those two oaths, Helms keeps to the first. And four years later is hauled before a court of law in the United States uh, and uh, pleads uh, a nolo contendere to a uh, misdemeanor charge. Having been charged with a felony of perjury, plea bargains down to a misdemeanor charge of failing to tr testify fully and truthfully and is fined $2,000. Those two oaths, this is the problem of running a secret intelligence service in an open dem democratic society. How do you do it? We Americans have not quite figured that out yet. Wow. Um, thank you so much for coming on and giving us such an insight into the early years of the CIA. It's been absolutely fascinating. Well, let's come back and we'll do the 21st century sometime. Absolutely, yeah. I feel people are going to be like, no, don't end it there, and that we're going to have to do um, another part with you um, and bring this full circle. Uh, but tell everybody about the new book that you've written and when they can get it. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> well, its publication has been delayed because of the recent unpleasantness. Um, uh, there being no open bookstores here or anywhere uh, at the moment. Uh, but the book is called The Folly and the Glory, America, Russia, and Political Warfare, 1945 to 2020. Uh, and it tries to make some sense of the fact that we won this struggle, the Americans did, in the 20th century, and we're losing it hands down in the 21st. How did we get here? Um, I love that you don't shy away from writing books that answer uncomfortable questions or reveal uncomfortable truths. Um, if you can get hold of a copy of Legacy of Ashes, you must, must read it. My mind is absolutely blown. Tim, thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. Join us tomorrow when we are going to be sticking with Russia because we're going to be talking to Ian Garner. This is brilliant. We're going to be talking about the cult of the Great Patriotic War, as in how Russians view World War II. Really fascinating stuff. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month via our patron scheme. That is available at www.historyhack.podbean.com. We'd really appreciate it, and it will help to keep us going in the aftermath of the coronavirus, which we would sincerely like to do. There now follows a public service announcement. I'm Horatia Hornblower, and I'm Archie Kennedy. The simplest gift you can give in these troubled times is to obey orders. Indeed. The regulations are very clear in the matter. It is the duty of all of us to remain at anchor until the little people in the talking box signal you otherwise. You don't want to end up getting flogged. Good day to you. Good day to you both. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 